the verse. Uh, <laughs> but that's okay. I'm going to read just one verse uh, this morning. And uh, actually, I gave the wrong verse. In, uh, in the information, it is Deuteronomy 33, uh, 25, not Deuteronomy 33, 26. We are very close, but close doesn't count here this morning. <laughs> Actually, 26 uh, ties in nicely with 25. Uh, I would like to read this morning, if uh, you have your Bible with you, um, or it's up on the screen, um, from the New American Standard Version, as well as the um, King James Version, because at some point I'll make a slight comparison between the two. Let us hear the word of God this morning from the New American Standard Version, Deuteronomy 33, verse 25. Your locks shall be iron and bronze, and according to your days, so shall your leisurely walk be. And the King American, uh, I'm sorry, the King James, we have your shoes shall be iron and brass, and according to your days, so shall your strength be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this, your word to us. We ask you, God, to please minister this word to our hearts and our minds today. Make it applicable to our lives. This word is here. It is the inerrant, infallible, authoritative word of God intended to enrich your church here this day. Father, we need strength. We need strength from you. We thank you, God, for this encouraging word to us today. In fact, the most important part of the sermon has already been accomplished. We have read your word. Now we ask that the preacher would be extremely close in saying exactly what this text means so we would come away not hearing from him, but from hearing from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This promise is to the tribe of Asher, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's part of Moses' blessing on the 12 tribes just prior to his death and before they are entering into the promised land. Now this morning I want us to understand that this promise does not just apply to the tribe of Asher, but it applies to each and every one of us here today. And there's a couple of things that I want to focus on this morning from this text, and it is in the title, Shoes and Strength. We begin with the shoes. Why does God give Christians shoes of iron and brass? Number one reason is this, and I think all of us can identify with this this morning. Tough shoes for a tough trip. Tough shoes for a tough trip. Christians don't wear common shoes. We came in here this morning wearing rather common shoes, but the spiritual shoes that each and every one of us are to wear are very, very tough shoes. They're made of iron and brass. We have peculiar difficulties. We have a peculiar road. We have a peculiar God to trust in. And sometimes we traverse a very dreary road, comparable to burning sand, comparable to a very, very difficult situation. 
our equipment this morning is very hard because our lives are very hard. Not only do we have the individual problems that we share with in common with the world, but we have the peculiar problems that we deal with as Christians. You didn't become a Christian to get rid of problems. You became a Christian, believe it or not, for added problems. Someone once said to me in North Africa, I became a Christian to become a better person. Guess what? The Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, saves us from trying to be better people, from living more comfortable lives. We become Christians in order to be forgiven of our sins, to have the guilt and dominion of sin removed from our lives, and so that we might be, as we said this morning, conformed to the image of Christ. That is a very hard road. That's a very difficult road. That's a road that is shod with all kinds of shards and difficult objects and interesting twists and turns and this and that, and so we need shoes that are fit for the trip. Tough shoes for a tough road, because this is the only sermon that I will preach here at least that is close to Valentine's Day, which is coming up, we have a very interesting individual in church history who wore very tough shoes for a very tough trip, and his name is Valentius. In A.D. 298, a Christian pastor was martyred at the command of Roman Emperor Claudius, his crime, standing against intimacy outside of marriage. Can you believe all the Valentine's Day cards that are going to be sent between people who are sharing an intimacy outside the bonds of marriage, standing against polygamy and all the other various and sundry ways that people were doing things back there in the third century, much of which has not changed until this day. And Emperor Claudius said, no, you're not going to do this. And the story goes that the last words that Valentius wrote was to a young woman. Valentius had prayed for a young woman, and she had been healed. And his last words to her in his letter was, From your Valentine. Then he was martyred. Tough shoes for a tough trip. You have a tough trip today. I have a tough trip as a Christian. We traverse a very difficult road out there. Jesus said, in the world you have tribulations. He did not say, in the world you do not have tribulations. In the world you have tribulations, but what? Rejoice! For I have overcome the world. And yet we live here in this already not yet situation. And so we have these remarkable shoes. And we'll get to exactly what those are in just a moment. Second, tough shoes are also meant to fight with. The tribe of Asher is about to go into the promised land. They're going to do battle. In New Testament terms, these shoes are meant for spiritual warfare. As we bring the good news of salvation to bear upon the world. And all sorts of deadly things are in our way. And yet it's with the help of these shoes that the promise of Psalm 91 is made good. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample down. 
And yet too many of us fear putting on our footwear to put upon the neck of the enemy. I'm too busy for battle. Or I'm not fit to do such battle. Let the professional minister do the battle. It's as if we're, we're saying I'm Swiss. I live in a neutral country. I'm waving the Swiss flag as a Christian. Well, none of us are neutral. When Paul says to put on the full armor of God, that's not an option. It's an order. Why? Because you're in battle, whether you like it or not. In Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul outlines the armor worn by the Christian, he says this, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Let me repeat that. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Let me tell you one thing about the devil. He doesn't sleep. He's up 24 hours, what we would call a 24-hour period. And he is plotting, and he is planning, according to Paul. He is scheming, and he is conniving. And what is he doing? What are his plans against? You. You. And the same old stuff that has been working for multiple millennia has been working today. He rarely ever needs to change up his game plan because we keep falling for the same tricks over and over and over again. So the question is not whether or not we want to be in spiritual warfare. The question is whether or not we will defend ourselves. And as you look at the armor in chapter 6 of Ephesians, most of it is defensive. There's one part that's offensive, and it's the word of God. Which means don't go looking for a fight, but if one comes your way, be ready. So we have the armor, and we have the shoes. And the shoes are the focus this morning. People say, if I could just get away from the battle and get some rest, I'd be okay. I need a vacation. Friends, we don't need more rest. We need more rest in God. God is not the Christian's rest from battle. He's a refuge in the midst of battle. Have you ever read the Psalms that said you're a refuge from battle? You're a refuge. You're a stronghold in the midst of battle. Why do these images occur in the Old Testament? It's because we're in war. Why do we feel beat up? We're in war. We're in warfare. He's a refuge in the midst of battle. In fact, Christians are built for battle. You're built for battle the same way a racehorse is built for racing. I understand that the racehorse is actually more anxious when he's not racing than when he is racing. Why do you think they're bucking back and forth while they're getting ready to go? They want to go. You are built for battle. Unless you're in battle, unless you're wearing the shoes and going into the world and doing the things that God has called us to do, that's where the anxiety comes from. It's actually the reverse. We say to ourselves, if I could just get some rest from the battle, I wouldn't be so anxious. Really, we need to be in the battle to get rid of the anxiety. What is the problem? We want comfortable shoes for a more convenient life. When I was a kid, 
My parents used to buy my shoes. They were very hard. Why? Because my parents wanted my shoes to last a very long time. They didn't have a whole lot of money. And they didn't want to be buying shoes all the time. Well, I hated those shoes because they were hard as rocks. It was absolutely miserable trying to go to school years ago, and I won't say how many years ago, but it was miserable trying to wear those things. We didn't have these cool tennis shoes and such and, and recreational facility shoes that a lot of kids are wearing today that can cost over $100. Now, we didn't have those things. It is the tough shoes that fit your disposition as a Christian well because you're fit for battle. It's the comfortable shoes that we want that we think fit our disposition, but God did not hand out soft, comfortable Adidas and Nikes to the tribe of Asher. He handed out the toughest heart. Do you have any idea how hard brass is? Do you have any idea how hard iron is? Hey, guys, put these on because we're going into battle. We can't even walk in these. Just put them on and try, and you're going to find out. Because you got a long way to go. When Roman armies used to go to battle against armies of the competitor, they would launch out very, very early or late at night so they would appear at sunrise at the, the gate or at the fortress of the opposing city. And they would do so by wearing very, very hard shoes in order to go across long areas and miles and miles or kilometers and kilometers depending on whether you're American or European. I always have to remember my context. And they would appear there in the, in the very brink of morning all ready to do battle. Well, how did they get there? They didn't get there wearing flip-flops. They didn't get there wearing sandals. They didn't get there in bare feet. They didn't get there with their feet put up. They didn't get there any other way. They got there by wearing the immeasurably tough shoes of the Roman emperors. But you know what? God gives us even tougher shoes. Because ours is a tougher battle. Ours is a tougher trip. Oh, if you came to church this morning looking for a release from the tough trip, I guess we came to the wrong place. Or we got the wrong preacher. One or the other. What happened to all the original disciples of Jesus? You know the stories of all of them, don't you? This was not an easy trip. Even John. Oh, I would love to spend my, up until my 90s, on an island in the Mediterranean Sea. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Seeing visions of God and wonderful things. Imagine that life, Hal. Isn't it great? But he died a martyr in that place. These shoes are meant to fulfill Jesus' words. Behold, I've given you authority over all the power. Of the enemy. When Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, what does that say about the devil? It means he has no authority. Yet, he says to go in the authority that he has delegated unto us that we might be his representatives in the world to fight that battle with the tough shoes because it's a tough world. 
Next, we have fit shoes or tough shoes for climbing. The soles of these shoes were studded with iron or copper nails for grabbing the rocks as the Israelites climbed the rocky places. Now, Deuteronomy 11 speaks to this very point. It says this, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse, and it will be when the Lord your God will bring you to the land to which you will come to possess it that you shall place those blessings upon Mount Gerizim and the cursings upon Mount Ebal. What's going on here? Once the 12 tribes, including Asher, entered the promised land, the priests were to go and climb Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. It was then that God commanded blessings and curses. He used these two mountains as teaching devices. How many teachers do we have here this morning? You know what it's like to use some illustration. Well, God uses mountains in this particular case to teach the blessings. If you go in this direction, you'll live a blessed life. If you go in this direction, the life of disobedience, you're going to bring down the curses of the law upon your head. Then the priest recited the 12 laws pertaining to life and the 12 laws pertaining to death. For each pronouncement, they faced Mount Gerizim. For the blessings and for the negative, they faced Mount Ebal. And after each pronouncement, the congregation responded by saying, Amen. But the priests had to climb using these shoes, studded with the nails for grabbing the rocks as the Israelites climbed the rocky places. Now, what exactly is represented in this situation? It's our choices. Whether they're in obedience to the Bible or they're against the Bible, we may climb the good path of obedience following in his ways. Alternatively, we can climb the path of evil, which leads to an empty and barren life. Jesus said, you can have life and life abundant, eternal life and an abundant life. An abundant life is not what some people think. It does not mean a life without the problems. We've already seen that there's a hard road upon which we need to tread with hard shoes. What it means is a fulfilled life. A life of meaning. A life of purpose. And in this particular case, we're looking at the meaning and the purpose of life in the context of warfare. Tough shoes. For a tough trip. Adam and Eve. They're told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now what in the world does the tree of the knowledge of good and evil mean? Many have speculated upon it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents simply this. It's a symbolic of a very, very incredibly important point that we need to understand today relative to this studded shoe for climbing the rocks and the hills, the mountains of Ebal and of Gerizim. It simply means that the original couple were not to make decisions. They were not to make decisions on what is good and what is evil apart from the word of God. They were not to decide for themselves that this is good or this is wrong this is right, or this is imprudent. 
They were to go by what God said is good and evil. To eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is to say, I know what's best. I understand social issues. I understand all these things that are going on in our world today. Look at the mess that we're in today. Look how people are deciding good and evil with respect to men and women, sexuality, morality, all the other realities, all the other isms that are out there. Everything is turned upside down on its head. Why? It's because the heart is desperately sick. The Bible says, who can understand it? Once I was teaching a class on spiritual growth when a man suddenly blurted out, why do I need all this stuff? I prayed the prayer. I walked the aisle. Why do I need to learn all these things? The reason we need to learn all these things is so we make decisions based upon the word of God in every single area of our lives so we climb Mount Gerizim and the blessings and not Mount Ebal and the curses so that we don't look at the tree and we eat of it and say, I know what's best, I know the difference between good and evil. They've seen the promised land, but have never seen the eagle soar Mount Gerizim. They've seen the Lord, but unlike Peter, James, and John, have not climbed the Mount of Transfiguration to behold his glory, the valley is good enough them. We are overrun this day with good enough Christianity in churches all across America. Good enough. When the Lord Jesus Christ traversed the Via Sacra, the Appia in Rome, was it good enough? When he went to the cross, was it good enough? When he took the spear, was it just good enough? When he rose victoriously from the dead, was it just good enough? No, it was all the perfections of God revealed and released in human form for you and for I. And we say to ourselves, I can't do it. Good, we're halfway there because it's the Lord Jesus Christ in us who does it. The shoes that we wear are not just simply shoes that you buy at the Walgreens made of iron and brass. They're the Lord Jesus Christ himself in whom and through whom and with whom all things come together and who lives in us and we live in him. No, we can't do it. That's the whole point. Some of you know I have some back issues. Some of you have health issues. Yet I travel the world. Some things have been done for me medically to help me get to where I need to go. But still, I have some problems getting where I need to go. And I'm convinced of the fact that were it not for these problems... You know what I would do? I would do this. It's me. 
We go with the shoes. We go with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is our strength. He is the one we lean on. He is the one who embraces us. He is the one whom we embrace. He is the one who lifts us. He is the one who raises us. He is the one who inspires us. He is the one who gives us. He is the one who prospers us. He is the one who entails everything we do in the battle. You know in the Bible, in the New Testament, where he says, pray. Whatever you pray in my name, this I will do for you. And people wonder, I prayed, and I prayed. And I didn't get what I thought I would get. And the answers are always the same. Well, he says yes, or he says no, or maybe it's just not his timing. There's another answer. Look at the context in John, where he says to pray, and whatever ye pray, ye shall receive also, or likewise. You know what the context is? The context is fruit-bearing for Jesus. Jesus answers prayer for those who are willing and able and ready to bear fruit for the kingdom of God and not to use it on themselves. That's what James was talking about. You pray, but you have not, because you will use it on yourself. No, no Nikes, no Nikes, no Adidas. They're tough shoes for a tough trip. Let's talk about the strength. The verse continues, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. Or as the New American Standard says, so shall thy leisurely walk be. Let me ask a question this morning. Does your life feel like a leisurely walk? I got an amen over here. If you got a leisurely walk, you haven't lived long enough. So why does the New American Standard say leisurely walk, but the King James Version says strength? It's because when the Lord is your strength, it is like unto a leisurely walk. But that's the problem. We go in our strength. And then it's like walking through eight feet of water. It's like dragging a boulder up a hill. Look at the early church. Look at the power. Look at the dunamis. We've heard this. I don't need to give you the Greek definition anymore because you know it better than I do. But there is supposed to be such a power in our lives as to explode the atheistic, non-believing, God-hating, Christ-hating, church-hating, Bible-hating world. What was it said of them in Ephesus? They turned the world upside 
down. They weren't going to church and finding Disney characters. Spurgeon once said of this verse, and then the text seems to say clearly that it will be given to us proportionately. What does he mean by this? As thy days, so shall thy strength be. That means that according to your day, if God sees you've got a big day coming, there's big strength coming. If he sees you've got a little day according to his plan, there's a little bit less strength. So Spurgeon says a day of little service, little strength. A day of little suffering, little strength. But in a tremendous day, a day that needs thee to play the Samson. Thou shalt have Samson's strength. A day of deep waters in which thou shalt need to swim shall be a day in which thou shalt ride the billows like a seabird. You say, I don't think this is working. Because I got big days and it feels like I got little strength. Why is it? It's because a lot of times we let the worries of yesterday and the anxieties of tomorrow zap the strength God has given for today. Or it's that we squander his strength on worldly preoccupations that drain our gas tank sooner than we should. Or it's simply that we're disinterested in the trip. I'm not interested in squashing Satan under my feet. Everybody raise your hands if you're interested in squashing Satan under your feet. That's a tough thing to, yes. Because that's what he said we're going to do. I'm not a climber. I'm happy in the mediocre areas, the valley of mediocre Christianity. But you see, here's the problem. God never gives us grace Two days at a time. Look at the Bible and see how God mentions just the day. There is no five-year planner in God's Bible. Give us this week our daily bread. Give us this day. God's provision is for the day. Today is the day of salvation. This is the day the Lord has made. God gives strength not for tomorrow, not for next week, but for every day as it shall come to pass. And so Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, what will it add even a cubit, which is about this much, I measured a cubit once. To the life, to your life, if you be anxious for tomorrow. For what? For what? Each day has enough trouble. He's recognizing the fact that each day has trouble. That's God. God made you. He understands. 
the troubles that we have. And in fact, it's enough trouble. Wow, I've had enough trouble for today. Well, you just met Jesus' promise. Welcome to Christianity. Aren't you glad you came here to get away from all of life's struggles? To be a better you. Like the magazine said that I saw at the Publix with the face of a very famous character. How to improve your lifestyle. We've settled for less. We're in it. He schemes against us. Morning, noon, and night. And even when we are sleeping, he is scheming against us. So either we put on the armor of God and we fight or we're annihilated. And we have shoes, beautiful shoes. And guess who the manufacturer is, Al? It's God. God made the shoes. Tough shoes for a really tough trip. Once I told Bonnie, never let me give up at night. Why? It's because the strength is for the day. And by 8, 9, 10 o'clock, I'm running out of my supply. And I'm already thinking about tomorrow or the next day after that. Or what's going to be happening in April? And I'm all concerned about that. And the tendency is to want to give up. But you know what happens the next morning? Boom! So as thy day. It's commensurate. I know nothing about math, but I think that's a pretty interesting word. As thy day, so shall thy strength B, what is zapping our strength is that we can't let go of yesterday. What is zapping our strength? It's that we're so preoccupied with what might be coming when we don't know what's coming, what, what has been coming. We haven't even dealt with that because we're too consumed with it. Or we waste the strength on all the worldly stuff that's out there. We're actually part of the terrain out there that the Christians who are wearing the shoes are trampling over. A lot of times the reason we're trampled over is because there's Christians who are wearing the shoes running over our heads. Lamentations 3. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassions never fail. That's a whole lot bigger, Hal, than a five-year planner. But here's how they're proportioned. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now, what would I do with a reserve of mercy if I had it? When Israel tried to store the manna as if God did not come through the next day, what happened? Remember, it rotted. All to teach us that a storage of grace sufficient for the day would turn into self-sufficiency. 
Again, Spurgeon, and I'll end in just a moment, said, If a man had a meal, let him give thanks for it rather than two meals at once. Let us narrow our vision as to the necessities of daily life, not looking so far ahead as to compress into today more evil than naturally belongs to it. Perhaps today your shoes are still made of clay. You're not even a Christian. You know, it's impossible for me to preach anywhere in the world, even in a room like this with the people that we have here without at least one not being a Christian. Not really. Why do I need all this? I walked the aisle. I said the prayer. It's a sure sign. You've not been changed and forgiven. He lived the perfect life. All of us were supposed to live but did not. He went to the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. So we don't have to. He rose victoriously from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave, so that all those who place trust upon him and trust alone. And what does that mean? It means that what Jesus did, he did for me personally, not just for the world. And that what he did is all I need to have the gift of eternal life. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's a gift to you, paid for by Jesus Christ. In his life, his death, and his raising again, and we look to his coming again. And it's all received by faith. Tough shoes for a tough trip. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for this, your word to us today.